morning, New Life. It's good to see all of you uh, today. Now, today is going to be uh, just a little bit different. And so, uh, if this is your first time here and uh, you came looking for a typical sermon or message, let me encourage you to come back next week. I promise we do preach here. Um, but today's going to be a little bit different because we are wrapping up our I Doubt It series. And we're going to wrap it up with a discussion panel. And we're going to be answering. Uh, six questions that you guys have submitted to us over the course of the last six weeks. Now, uh, just a couple of caveats before we get going. Number one is um, we, we don't, certainly we don't have time to answer all of the questions. You guys submitted a ton of questions over the course of the last uh, month and a half. We won't have time to get uh, to all of them, obviously. But I, I want to say if we, if we don't get to your question or your doubt that you submitted uh, please reach back out to us. Feel free to contact uh, one of our elders, one of our pastoral staff members. Uh, we'd love to have a phone conversation with you about your question, even maybe meet up and have a cup of coffee. Uh, but it is important to us that you have a chance uh, to get your question answered. Certainly, we don't have all the answers, but we would love to, the opportunity just to kind of wrestle through um, some of the doubts and questions that we may not have a chance to get to uh, together this morning on the panel the second thing is, e even the, the number of questions that we are gonna tackle this morning uh, will be in a very limited way. So th this, is, this is in no way kind of an exhaustive covering of these topics. Uh, so just so you know that ahead of time, our hope is that this discussion panel and really this whole seven-week series will serve for you more as a launching pad to, to kind of dive deeper in exploring your faith and your walk uh, with Jesus. We'll have some resources at the end of the service, more on that later. Uh, but for now, let me introduce you to our panel members. First up is uh, Gabe Magi. Gabe, come on up. You guys give her a round of applause. Many of you guys know Gabe. Gabe is uh, one of our rock stars here at New Life. She serves in a bunch of different capacities, and she's way smarter than I am, which is why she's up here. And um, also, Jonathan Jones, wherever you're at, come on up. He's our community pastor. He's also smarter than I am. And Rodney Howell, our outreach pastor, come on up. And Rodney is way smarter than I am. So that's, you guys see the theme of who got up here and, and why. All right, so here are the uh, rules of engagement this morning. Uh, we're going to set a five-minute timer for each question. You guys will be able to see the uh, countdown on the screen uh, behind me in front of you. And uh, when it buzzes, if the person is still talking, I want you guys to laugh at them, mock them. If you have some fruit or a tomato, feel free to toss it. Just don't hit me in the process. And um, if it buzzes, they will get a 60-second grace period to finish up their question, at which time they will be buzzed relentlessly every time they try to talk. So they, they, will, be, they will be finished at the end of, of six minutes. And I think it's gonna be uh, a good time. Are you guys ready for this? All right, let's, let's do it. All right, we're gonna start with Rodney. We're gonna give Rodney uh, the easiest question because he's a graduate of the University of Florida. And so we figured, <laughs> we figured, we figured that we would give him uh, the easiest question. All right, uh, Rodney, how did, we, how did we get our Bible and why does our Bible include the specific books that it does? All right, so this is uh, the question of the canon. You might have heard that term. Uh, basically, that's just the list of the books 
that Christians would view <clears throat> as authoritative, that they're God-breathed, that, that this is what God's word is. So the 39 Old Testament books <clears throat> and the 27 New Testament books. So in, in recent years, there's this story going around that there were these lost books. So the Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Judas, Mary, others. And why aren't those included? You know, what was the church trying to hide over the centuries is, is kind of the question. You'll see that on Netflix, on PBS documentaries, uh, popular books like Dan Brown, Da Vinci Code, and others. Uh, it's, it's kind of all over the place. So the story is that there was all these writings in the early days of Christianity, and, and there were. Uh, but, but then they say the church, under the influence of the Roman emperor Diocletian, uh, the, the church hid a lot of these writings. They pieced together what they wanted, kind of put that out there with a stamp of approval, and it was all about like, this conspiracy, kind of their authority control. They wanted to control the narrative and what got out there uh, for their own benefit. Well, the real story is really not that exciting. It's, it's not a, a made-for-TV movie. It doesn't star Tom Hanks. Uh, it's, it's just kind of more like history actually happens, uh, but, but, it's, but it's interesting. Uh, what actually happened was there was no church council that said, okay, these books are in, and these books are out, and we're going to hide these away. Uh, there was no vote. Uh, there was no pope or emperor that, that decided this. Uh, this. This is what happened. This is what is true. Okay, the entire New Testament, this is important for us to, to start with here. The entire New Testament, all 27 books that are in the Bible that you have in your hands, those were all written in the first century. So the whole thing was completed. They were, were letters and, and books that were copied and spread around, copied and spread around. And this happened while the original eyewitnesses and followers of Jesus were still alive. They were still alive when this was being spread around. So anything that was off could have been corrected or are you down? Uh, th this happened in the same lifespan, okay? So the four gospels and the letters, uh, they were copied and shared, copied and shared. We see an example of this in uh, Colossians 4.16. Paul says to the church in Colossae, that's just the city, he says to them, hey, when you guys are done reading this letter, go to Laodicea, they have a letter too, you guys switch letters, you read theirs, let them read yours. And so those were copied and shared, and that's how it was perpetuated all over the ancient world. Second uh, Peter 3, verse 16, Peter refers to Paul's letters as scriptures, same word that they use for the Old Testament. So he's putting it that on the same level. So there was this, this very early recognition that some of these writings were on the same par with the Old Testament. They were scripture, and other writings were not. And so how did they know? They, how did they know it had the same God-breathed, God-inspired quality? Well, they would, they would look at it and see, was this written by or, or written by someone who was an apostle or an associate of an apostle? So it came from the original source, the eyewitness, the, the people who walked around and did life with Jesus and saw these things firsthand. So was it written by or, or was the information given by an apostle? They could also see if a book lined up with the Old Testament. Was, was it kind of like part two? And here's the fulfillment of all that God had said, which we all recognize at that time was Scripture. So it, they would recognize these certain books, the, the Gospels and letters, as Scripture. And because they saw this is the good news of Jesus, they had a missionary impulse. They wanted that to be spread all over the world. So they would copy over and over and over and spread those. And that's why we have all those manuscripts that Chris uh, mentioned in his sermon a few weeks ago about the Bible that 
These were all over the place because they valued them so much and they recognized this is scripture. This is from God. And so they spread those around. We don't have, we didn't have any copies of the Gospel of Thomas until 1945, okay? That's what all these documentaries are based on. It's about one, one copy that we found in Egypt in 1945. Well, why do we not have that many of that one? Well, it's because the, the early church, they didn't, they weren't hiding something away. They weren't trying to hide the truth. They read it and said, that's not scripture. That, that's not from an eyewitness. It wasn't written from, uh, by Thomas for, the first, uh, for one thing, because Thomas, uh, the Gospel of Thomas was written in the second century. Thomas was dead, okay? He was dead in, after the first century, so he couldn't have written it. Okay, that's the first problem with it. Further, it doesn't sync with the eyewitness testimony and doesn't follow from the Old Testament. <laughs> All right. Bonus minute. 60 seconds grace, of grace. Grace minute, okay? So here's what we need to know. Here's what we need to know for the next PBS documentary that comes out, okay? At Christmas and Easter, every year it'll happen. The New Testament books that we have, those are the earliest writings that we have, period. And they're all, all of them are from the first century. Every single one of these disputed books or lost gospels, they're all from the second century or later, meaning the author of them could not have been an eyewitness because all the eyewitnesses were? Dead. Dead, very good. You guys are learning really fast. Okay, now to be fair, there was some disagreement in the early church about a few of the 27 books. There was a little bit of disagreement, but we have documentation from historians, early church fathers. There was widespread agreement very early on and they worked through those things historically, theologically, factually, and they ended up with the 27 books that we have in our Bibles. None of these so-called lost Gospels were actually lost. They were actually rejected. They knew all about them. All right. Good job, Rodney. Not, uh, not half bad for a Florida Gator. Thank you for, for that. Um, we did, we did uh, preach a message on this a few weeks ago. If you weren't here, feel free to go back. Uh, the bottom line is our, our Bible, our canon of Scripture is incredibly reliable, and we can know that it is historically accurate beyond a, a reason of a doubt, and so we have high confidence in our Scriptures as being directly uh, from God, and, we, and you can have that confidence as well. All right, question number two, also a super easy one. This one will be for uh, Jonathan. The question that was submitted uh, by one of you guys was, how do I have free will if God already knows everything that will happen. You guys are mean. So, yeah, just get the easy ones over here. Yeah, so listen. <laughs> Time's that, up, Jones. Uh, all right, great. Short answer is we don't. We don't know. That, listen, you, you're never going to be able to resolve a question and attention like God's sovereignty and man's free will, obviously, in five minutes or less. Uh, so I, I would like for us to, to maybe just tackle it, look at it today in light of the bigger gospel narrative uh, that's out there today, and, and really maybe start with just this one thing. Uh, it's take the starting point of, of choice. Let's start with choice. We, we like to, that's, that's usually what, what hangs us up, right? But not our choice, God's choice, his choice. Believe it or not, God chooses. In the beginning, he chose to create this whole thing. We didn't. He's the one that, that chose that. In fact, he, he created, he chose to create all y'all, as, as we would say here, here in the South, right? And so God chooses to do that. In fact, he chose to create in such a way where we could actually relate to him 
and actually have meaningful choices in that relationship. That was his choice. He chose to do it that way. So, so him knowing everything and, and him having a predetermined plan for his creation doesn't put our choices at odds with him in that relationship. Uh, his choice and our choices still take place, but don't misunderstand that. They're not on a level playing field, right? It's not an equal partnership, but that doesn't mean it's still not there. In fact, if I could kind of encapsulate it in, in one phrase in, in terms of what we're talking about today, it, it would be this. His choice is greater than ours. His choice is, is greater than ours. So over and over again, you see in those scriptures that Rodney just told you were true, um, you, you see that, hey, uh, God's sovereignty is, is woven throughout the, all throughout historical uh, scriptural narrative. You'll also see man's responsibility and man's choices in that relationship all throughout scripture. And so today, I don't have time to get into tulips and daisies and to really pull out all those references, but... What, what, so what I, I do want to do is encourage you to go back and, and read God's text and allow it to speak to you open and honestly to, to what God would have to reveal to you when it comes to that. So if that's the case, if you say, okay, Jonathan, I hear you, then how does God's providential will, that all-knowing, predetermined will, interact with our own personal will when it comes to our own kind of personal choices and personal will. So it might help you to, to kind of think about it this way. We've all been in a family where uh, parents have chosen the vaca vacation destination, summertime's upon us, right? Uh, parents, you pick the spot, and guess what? Your kids are coming whether they like it or not. Now, we want them to be happy about it, don't we? But we're picking the spot, so we pile our kids into the car, and off we go. It is a predetermined plan, predetermined choice by, in that relationship, in the family context, parents' choices matter more, don't they? doesn't mean that our kids don't get to choose stuff, right? They get to choose their attitudes, and they get to choose the way they behave, and all that, that stuff all along the way, and we're sitting there, I will turn this happy vacation car around, right? <laughs> we're going there whether they like it or not, but they, they still get to choose it. And now, in the end, what do parents really care about? As a good father, what do I really care about? I don't, I don't ultimately care about where we go. I care that my kids want to be with me. I care about their heart. And so I'll kind of end it this way. In Daniel 9, we actually see a similar story on how this interacts. God's sovereignty, his predetermined plan, and man's free will. Daniel, it actually gets foretold. Jesus, uh, God lets this out of the bag. He says, hey, for 70 years, through the prophet of, of Jeremiah, we hear this. 70 years, the nation of Israel is going to experience desolation, awful suffering. God's going to cause this on his own people. And for 70 years, he gives a timeline. So everybody in this story, Daniel, God, everybody knows what's going to happen. For 70 years, they know. And then it's going to end, and so we pick up at the very end of this. It's almost, time's almost up. My time's almost up, too. And so what happens is, is that we would say, okay, well, how would you expect Daniel to respond to that? It's almost over. Well, if it were us, we'd probably say, man, okay, come on, come on, come on, wait for it, wait for it. Yes, finally, done. No, he starts praying like he didn't know what was going to happen. He knew. He had been known for, for the past however many years. He knew what was going to happen, but if you read that prayer, it is like he is praying like he didn't know what was about to happen. And God responded to him like he didn't know what was about to happen. He swiftly, it says, sent Gabriel to, to give Daniel insight and understanding. Now, why would both characters in the story behave like they didn't know what was going to happen? Why would they do that? Because God cares about our heart. He cares about us wanting to be with him, even if we already know that predetermined outcome, even if everybody already knew that predetermined outcome. See, God didn't create you so, yes, he did. 
Stupid X. Yes, he did. 60 seconds. All right, 15 seconds. God didn't create you so that you could figure out how he could know everything, yet we could still have meaningful choices. God created us so that we would understand and recognize that we have a good father that wants to be with us and wants to love us, and he wants us to love him. All right. Good stuff there. Good stuff. Now, yeah. That's, that's been one of the biggest questions that uh, theologians, Bible scholars, pastors have debated and, and wrestled with uh, for millennia. And uh, at the end of the day, as, as Jonathan said, um, our, our free will is not at odds with God's sovereignty. And in fact, as his sons, as his daughters, as his children, his followers, to, I, I think that should be a great comfort to us that our God is sovereign o- overall. Um, all right, so next, next question, this is uh, for Gabe. If Jesus is the only way of salvation, and we preached an entire message on, on that being true a few weeks ago, if Jesus is the only way of salvation, then how were people saved before Jesus was born into the world? In other words, like Old Testament times, if Jesus is really the only way, but Jesus hadn't been born yet, well, how were, how were people saved? Um, I believe the essence to this question can be summed up in Hebrews 11:6, And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and rewards those who earnestly seek him. Friends, God is after our hearts, not our performance. We look at Genesis 15:6, and we see Abram believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Point. That's it. It didn't say that he was a really good guy and just followed all the rules perfect. No, Abram believed God and he trusted him. Pete Briscoe defines faith as seeing the invisible, believing it, and living as if it were true. And that's exactly how the Old Testament saints were saved. God revealed invisible promises to them. He pointed to the coming Messiah they believed God and then lived their entire lives as if it were true. It comes down to this. Old Testament and New Testament saints are both saved the exact same way. Through God's undeserved grace, through faith in Jesus, not by works so that no one can boast. The entire Old Testament points to Jesus, the Messiah who would come, while the entire New Testament points back to Jesus. God had constantly been revealing to the Old Testament saints hints of the coming Messiah. And so they had faith in Jesus too, even though he hadn't arrived on scene yet. We see God's plan way back in Genesis 3.15, immediately following the fall when Adam and Eve disobeyed God and sin and evil entered the world. Take a look at Moses in Hebrews 11.24. By faith, Moses, when he grew up, (laughs) When he grew up, he uh, refused to be known as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He considered disgrace, he regarded disgrace, listen, for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. How is that possible if Jesus hasn't even entered the scene yet? It's because God gave Moses a glimpse of Jesus. He could see it in his mind. He believed God and he left everything behind, all that status and riches, and he lived as if the invisible were true. 
We also see Jesus himself saying in John 8:56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. We see the same thing in Hebrews over and over. We see the Old Testament saints are always saved by God's grace through faith. Now, notice Old Testament and New Testament saints didn't merely believe God and then their lives remained the same. Their lives were always dramatically changed forever because our faith is proved genuine when we obey God, when we do what he is asking us to do. In the New Testament, we have a lot more of revelation from God than those who lived during the Old Testament times. So we now know that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament and that we are saved by, through faith, in trusting in Jesus' finished work on the cross and resurrection, plus nothing. I'm convinced through Christ, God wants nothing more than genuine intimacy with all of us. He wants to be at the center of our hearts in everything we do. And this is our primary purpose in life. This authentic relationship goes beyond church going. It goes beyond performance and just simply stating that we believe in God. He is not interested in our best efforts. We simply cannot perform well enough for God. He's after our hearts. Trusting and believing God is what makes him pleased because it is impossible without faith to please God. You know, when you think about our relationship with God, this is a faith-based relationship. It is dependent on Christ alone. As New Covenant believers, we rely on the Holy Spirit of Christ living in us. In all of our moments, our ordinary moments, Jesus is going to prompt us by his Spirit to do things that are in line with his word. And as we say yes, we learn to trust him. And then love happens. It's beautiful. <laughs> 60 seconds of grace. It's also important to note that trusting Jesus does not guarantee comfort, nor does he promise safety or that it's all going to work out in the end. Or actually, it will work out in the end, but it won't work out in this world. So he does promise that he will be with us always. We can always depend on that. We have his unfailing love, constant unfailing love. And he'll have that. That'll be our anchor through all of the hard times, our anchor in Christ. And therefore, in summary, Old Testament and New Testament saints alike, both are saved in the exact same way. By God's undeserved grace, through faith in Jesus Christ, not by, faith, not by works, so that no one can boast. Mm. Great job. Good stuff there, Gabe. Um, yeah, I, I, I love that, and that's, that was a concept that I remember kind of wrestling with at some point in, in my faith journey, but that's a beautiful picture, a great description. Uh, Jesus is the only way of salvation, right? People that lived pre the birth of Jesus um, were saved by having faith, looking forward to the coming Messiah that had been promised by God, and we are saved by looking back in time, back in history, um, placing our faith in the same exact Messiah, uh, Jesus Christ. So uh, great job, Gabe.
Uh, next question is for Jonathan. Uh, this one says, if God knows the future, then why do children uh, still have to suffer? In other words, if God knows that a kid is going to be born and suffer and die, then why even allow that baby to be born in the first place? Yep, another easy one, right? Um, so, uh, so when, it, when it comes to, to a question like this, this one really hits home for me. Uh, you guys heard, have probably heard a little bit about my story. Uh, I preached a sermon on suffering a few, a few weeks ago, and I'm sure it probably hits home for a lot of people in this room when it comes uh, to suffering. So you'll hear a little bit of, of, a, of a sermon recap, if you will, um, that, to be a refresher for you uh, this morning. Uh, and if you missed it, uh, then hopefully this will be maybe some new um, illumination or some, some enlightenment uh, for you when it comes to this uh, very hard, real question uh, with suffering, when it, when it comes to suffering. So uh, the, the, the first thing that I would just say about that is that, uh, listen guys, we suffer because of our, our dress. We suffer whether we're a child or an adult, we suffer because of where we live. Um, that we live in a fallen and broken world, a, a world that is not whole yet. Um, yes, God, God created us. We sinned and, and we, we broke things. We messed this world up. And we are ex still experiencing that, even though we have Christ now where, where we can have, put our faith and trust in Jesus and he can live inside of us and, and, sin, and, and sin and suffering no longer has power over us over us, it's still present. And so that's our address. And so we have to understand and know that suffering is still going to happen, um, whether we like it or not because of, of where we live. Children suffer just like adults because of where they're born. They're, they're born into this world. Um, now, we don't seem to struggle as much with some of these other questions and tensions like this one, it seems. Um, we, we can hear these and, and, and maybe struggle with some of these tensions and, and be okay with them in, in the end. But this one, when it comes to suffering, Sometimes it's a little different for us, and we can really struggle with this one and have doubt um, with this one. And, and, and why do we struggle so much with this one? I think, I think mainly because it's so personal. This one seems unfair to us. Uh, it, it really strikes us per, in a personal way. And so God knows that, that, that suffering is always personal. It's never neutral. Um, and so th th this one, it, it can be a tough one for us. But uh, a, a lot of times when it comes to this one, uh, we, we tend to respond, or actually when it comes to the other ones, we'll, we'll tend to respond to say, hey, yeah, I, I don't understand this fully, I don't understand this question fully, but God, I trust you. I trust you. And with suffering, we tend to say, God, I, I don't understand this, how could you? How could you allow this to take place, and how could you allow this to happen? Now, could God have, have stopped suffering from the very beginning? Sure. Could, could he continue to stop suffering now? Yes. Why, and you may say, well, why would Jonathan, would he even bring life into this world if he knew there was promised suffering? Well, why did we, as parents, why did we choose to bring kids into this world knowing full well there was a guaranteed suffering that was going to come in their life? Why, why, do, why do we do this? Because in the end, God knew, and we know as parents, suffering doesn't define our life. It is part of it, but it doesn't define it. In, in fact, it, it helps make us who we are in, in, in many cases. Um, you know, we know that uh, uh, with our kids, when it comes to our kids, we, we, we decided to have kids because we want them to love us and we want to love them. And we know that suffering is all kind of part of that. And yes, God chose to create us in such a way as to not control our hearts. That means he knew suffering would enter the world, real pain, real atrocities, 
would enter the world, but in the end, it would be worth it for that to not remove our choice in order to have that loving relationship. So from the very beginning, he decided uh, to, to create this way, knowing full well that suffering was going to enter in, but he didn't leave it at that. He also knew he was gonna step in. He wasn't just gonna acknowledge that suffering existed. He was actually gonna fully step in to our suffering. In fact, if you think about it, the only truly innocent child that ever suffered was God's son, his own child. God knew full well he, he was gonna step into our suffering in a very real, very personal way, and he did that. So in the end, while he knew that suffering would happen, it would be extremely personal, he also knew that that, that suffering could, could play a major role in exposing our greatest need. And our greatest need, he knew, is him. He knows is him. Um, so God knows that, and so suffering, while it seems at the time that might be our biggest barrier and create the most doubt when it comes to God, actually, uh, suffering can help expose our truest need, and that is a relationship with him. In fact, it's the lack of suffering sometimes that's actually our greatest threat. When we remove that suffering, if we, we don't have that suffering, we're, we're, we are tempted to, to ultimately rely in our own strength, in our own power, and in our own self-reliance, and that's actually the most dangerous thing. That's actually our truest threat, right? Not the X, not the buzzer. That's not our greatest threat. So, listen, guys, uh, God has determined a plan, and it does include suffering but it, in that plan, but it doesn't derail it. Uh, in fact, he even uses that suffering to point, point us to our true hope. Suffering helps remind us who's really in control, and in a very personal way, it reveals to us that the point of life is not just happiness and comfort. Rather than, it tells us that the purpose of life is to find him in the good times and the bad times and the suffering times so that we can eventually have that life that we were created to have. Nicely done. Nicely done, Jonathan. Yeah, let the, uh, let the record show Jonathan is 0 for 2 on his time limits, and so he's officially losing. Um, yeah, I think, I think um, as I've kind of gotten older and processed uh, kind of my own experience with suffering and knowing many people that I love, whom I'm close to, that have walked a great paths of suffering themselves, the thing that is really begun to bring me comfort is that we have a suffering savior, right? That has walked the path of suffering himself. And so he identifies with those of us who are walking through pain and, and suffering. And even though he never promised to kind of shield us from pain or difficulties in this life, he does promise to walk with us through the fires of life. And I think that that brings us great comfort as his sons, as his, as his daughters. All right, next question, I'm gonna take the next one. The next one is, why doesn't God seem to do as many miracles today as he did in the New Testament times? And so I would say, first of all, uh, let me just address, start by addressing a misconception that I feel like is out there uh, in the Christian community. There, there's a segment of the church world, I think, that would say or would argue, God doesn't do miracles anymore. So, so miracles, they basically ended with Jesus, uh, miracles ended with uh, the first apostles, and I, I just find that view uh, wholly incompatible with what I see in Scripture, with the experience of the global modern-day church, and even my own personal experience. I would argue that God absolutely still does miracles. 
Um, even in, yeah, yay, yay for God, right? Um, even even in our in our own family, some of you guys know know the story, right? Uh, Karis, one of our one of our kids, one of our daughters, uh, was born with two holes in her heart, and so we went to a cardiologist for years, and we were looking at open heart surgery. And I remember it was one Sunday we were sitting in a church service, much like uh, this one at a church that I was serving on staff at at the time. And our cardiologist called, and I, of course I didn't answer it because I was in church. It went to voicemail, and I listened to the voicemail. And her cardiologist said, "Look, we're not sure why, but the holes are gone. We've done the test. Uh, there are no holes. She doesn't need surgery. In fact, she's released from under my my care." And I handed the phone to Cheryl and let her listen to the voicemail, and we just sat there with tears streaming down our face. Uh, in the service, and the pastor probably thought he was killing it with a message and uh, had, had absolutely nothing to do with him at all. Um, but listen, I've talked to many of you. Many of you have had very similar experiences, just kind of unexplainable things, events, healings, miracles that have happened in your, in your life. So let me kind of illustrate it this way. If we were to record like every miracle that had ever happened uh, for all of us, here at New Life Community Church. We were to record it in a book, and we call it the Book of New Life Miracles. And we just were to record everything that had ever happened to all of us. We were to bury that book, and let's say 2,000 years from now, somebody were to dig it up and find it and begin to read all the miracles, they probably would be thinking, holy smokes, God was doing a lot of miracles in Asheville back in 2019, right? That's kind of the same way we read the, the, the New Testament documents like why isn't God doing so much uh, now but I would argue again that uh, God is still doing miracles uh, God never stopped doing miracles so that that'd be the first thing I would say second thing I would argue is that the primary purpose of Jesus entering into our world was not physical healing or miracles if that had been his primary purpose then everybody would have been healed Right? There, would be, there would have been no more sickness, there would have been no more blind people, more, no more lame people, no more cancer, nothing, nothing like that. His primary purpose in performing miracles and performing healings was to authenticate who he was. So think back to the story in uh, John's Gospel, chapter 9. Right? There's, this, there's this guy who is born blind, been there for years, everybody had seen him there, everybody knew his story, and his disciples come up to Jesus and they go, hey, Jesus... Uh, was this guy born blind because of his sin or his parents' sin? Do you remember uh, Jesus' response? He goes, neither. He was born blind so that the works of God might be displayed in him. In other words, he, he goes, listen, I, I, I am going to heal this guy to authenticate myself, to authenticate the message of the gospel and point people to the Father. Even today, in 2019, I don't, I don't have time to get into it this morning, but I could tell you stories from our colleagues, different missionaries that I know serving all around the world that would absolutely blow your mind. Different miracles that are happen, happening in places where the gospel is breaking ground, uh, places like the Middle East, places like communist China, places in Africa where there are no churches, where there are pretty much no Christians, where there is no scripture. I'm talking crazy things like, Dreams of Jesus, visions of Jesus, uh, miraculous healings, just crazy stuff. Like God is still authenticating his gospel in miraculous ways around the world today. So in summary, I would say God is still doing miracles. He, he never stopped. But I would say the primary purpose of healings and miracles is to authenticate Jesus, is to authenticate the good news of Jesus and the gospel message. All right, so that's that. 
Um, yeah, 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 yeah. 21 seconds to spare. All right. That's how, that's how you do it, boys and girls. All right. <clears throat> Save the easiest question uh, for last, and Rodney's going to get the last question. Uh, number six. How old is the earth, and when did creation happen? You got five minutes. <laughs> We're just going to be here for a while, okay? So y'all just get comfortable. No. Um, <clears throat> I'm actually glad the question was not... Uh, creation versus evolution. That, that would take a lot more time than just five minutes. Um, if you're interested in that question, we can talk afterwards. I can point you in a direction. But this question uh, assumes that God created. It assumes intelligent design uh, is what it's often called. <clears throat> so if we assume God created the world, there's still some debate amongst Christians about when did he create. And there's, there's two broad major views that would have other views underneath. One is young earth, that the earth is relatively young, that God created in seven literal 24-hour periods, days and nights like we know them now. So that, that would mean the earth is about 6,000 years old. Okay, so that's the young earth view. The old earth view is that God created over millions, maybe even billions or trillions of years. That would be <clears throat> the old earth view, and then under those are more detailed and, and nuanced views. Let me say first, <clears throat> the, the old earth, young earth debate that should be a friendly discussion, not a heated argument amongst Christians, okay? There's, um, sometimes there are um, people who will say, well, the, the young earth people uh, who believe that, well, they, they're just reading the Bible. They're not even looking at science. And then the old earth people will say, no, you're, or, or the, on, on the, the, the flip side, the criticism of the old earth people is that, well, you're not even reading the Bible. It's kind of clear, okay? So it, there's, there's, uh, debate on either side, but this should be a friendly discussion, okay? Uh, it, it's not an issue of first importance that, okay, if we don't agree on this, we can't be in the same church, we, we don't have the same faith, okay? That might be the, the case if we came to different conclusions, for example, on, on Gabe's question on uh, do good works save us or does faith in Jesus Christ save us, okay? That might be something we would say, okay, we're going, to, we need to divide over that because we're not preaching the same gospel, uh, or if we're not talking about the same God, so the Trinity, deity of Christ, those kinds of things, I would say this is one of those second order of importance that does not mean it's unimportant, okay? So that's not what we're saying, uh, but it's, it's something that, that we can uh, have a good conversation about. Now, here's what we need to know. There are biblical arguments for both young earth and old earth sides. So both sides value God's word. Don't have in your mind that only one side or the other really is reading the Bible. So from the young earth view, they would make biblical arguments. First of all, the, the first of many would be, look, if you just read the Bible, just plain and simple, it says day one, evening and morning, day two, evening and morning. It's, let's, let's not complicate this, okay? It's, it's plain and simple. Uh, that's what God's word says. Uh, we'll show you a picture here. This is from a, uh, a, a children's book uh, used for science curriculum that is teaching a young earth view. Adam and Eve are feeding an animal. What kind of animal is that? It's a dinosaur. So they're making a statement there about what they believe happened in creation. And I don't know if it's, uh, if it's intentional or ironic, but there's a monkey there as well. Um, so they're, they're kind of making a statement. Now, the old earth objection would say, okay, look, if you just read the Bible, light appears before God created the sun. Okay, how can days one through three be 24-hour solar days if the sun wasn't created until day four? Okay, now that's a fair objection, and there are many other objections. Okay, 
Now, the old earth view, uh, they have biblical arguments as well. Okay, here's one of them. Uh, the Hebrew word that's translated day in our English Bibles is yom. Y-O-M, if you just want to transliterate it, yom. Okay, there is a, a range of meanings. It could mean part of a day. It could mean a full day. It could mean an, an age, like an entire era. Okay, so the, the old earth um, advocates would say God created over seven eras or ages, and the confusion is just in the English translation. Um, so here's a little old earth humor, not, a, not on creation, but um, it's by somebody who would probably agree with this. Uh, it's from Facebook. They're talking about the salt that they have there, and it says, just my luck, uh, 250 million year old salt, and it expires next year. So <clears throat> a young earth objection to this would be, okay, on, on the issue of sun and light, there was life on day three, but the sun wasn't created until day four. So look, if you're saying that it, all these were ages, okay, eras, millions of years, well, you can't sustain life for millions of years without the sun, without light, okay? So there's, so there's this point, counterpoint on both sides, and I want you to hear both sides have biblical reasons. It's not that one side is for the Bible and the other side's for science or vice versa. There's also good scientific reasons on both sides sides. Uh, there are good scientists on both sides. Uh, so, so we are, we're not anti-science. 60 seconds. Grace period. Um, man, that goes fast. Uh, <clears throat> hopefully it does, it's going fast for you guys too. <laughs> um, it, we're not anti-science. We are pro-science. We don't have to make this a, a science versus religion kind of thing, and we don't need to paint people with different views. Uh, in, a, in a negative light. Now, there are views that try to put these together. This is just beyond the scope of what we can get into in a five-minute answer or a six-minute answer. Uh, there's a lot of great resources to go, to go further with those. What's most important is this. The most important is the who and the what. So there is a God who existed before the universe, who created the universe, and he is distinct from what he created. He's not one and the same. That's what's most important, the who and the what, the how and the when, all the details, the exact timing. I'm not saying that's not important, it's just of secondary importance, and we can dig into that and press in and have great conversations with each other. All right. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah. <laughs> does, does that make him 0 for 2 as well? Is that, no. yeah, yeah. They're both, they're, is that what you're saying? We he have ran the buzzer. <laughs> was, was I the only one that got under my five minute? Oh, uh, wow. I, for the record, let wow. Let, let the record show, not that our staff is competitive at all, but anyways. Wow. All right, all right. Um, no, I, I appreciate that. I think that's a good point, uh, Rodney, uh, especially here at New Life. Uh, we, we definitely hold to, hold to uh, the, authorities, uh, the authority of Scripture, right? So, so we land firmly on the Scriptures, on the Bible here, uh, for sure. We affirm that the truthfulness, the truthfulness of the Bible. Um, but we also want to give grace, right, uh, on some of these secondary issues. We don't want to divide um, over certain uh, interpretations of different uh, parts of Scripture, even though we would all, both sides, we would affirm that God created everything that is. And so I think that that's a good word. We don't need to, to divide over those types of talks. Now, listen, as we, as we wrap up, just a few encouragements uh, to you. The first one is, uh, my hope is that from this series, you guys will really just kind of become students of, of your faith. Dive into the riches of Jesus' gospel, 
Uh, drink deeply from the well of scriptures. Go deeper in your walk. Now, let me just, just a quick word to parents here. I think a lot of times, parents, grandparents, um, we, can, we can kind of freak out a little bit when our, par- when our kids, our grandkids, start to ask us tough questions, right? Or, or they come to us with doubts. And so what can happen sometimes is we can begin to shut our kids down or we can shut our, our grandkids down. And let me just say, that, that is the absolute worst thing we could possibly do as, as parents or, or grandparents. Listen, it is totally fine to say, hey, little Johnny, little Susie, uh, listen, I don't have all the answers. I don't know all the answers, but I, I wanna work through this with you. Let's, let's dig in together. Let's dig into the scriptures. Let's get some resources. And I, and I know that the Lord has a, a good answer for you on this doubt or this particular uh, question. And so uh, to that end, we have an event coming up uh, seems like it's a long way off, but it's really not. July 20th, so just a little bit over a month from now, we have an event called Intentional. It's gonna be a Saturday morning. It's gonna take place right here at New Life, and it's a family discipleship conference, okay? So if you're a mom, dad, you're a grandma, grandpa, you're an auntie or uncle, and you're invested in a kid's life, you wanna know how to d- disciple your kids at home or your grandkids at home, let me encourage you, Register for Intentional. We do have limited uh, slots available for that. So you can do that on the website. You can do that on your way out at the Next Steps booth. Also, we have two resource tables up front with a lot of books and resources for you, for your kids, age-specific stuff. If you've got elementary-age kids, if you've got high school-age kids, uh, we've vetted all these books. In fact, I've used some of these books as resources during this uh, message series. So I want to just encourage you, come up after the ser- service, kind of thumb through these books, uh, decide maybe which one is best for you or your family or your kids. You can order them on Amazon. Also, as you exit today, we're going to have a paper resource guide that the ushers are going to hand out to you with a lot of valuable resources, web resources, etc. So make sure that after you check out our books up here, that you grab a sheet of paper, a resource guide on your way out. All right, I'm gonna pray for us as, as the band comes and then we'll sing, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, we, are, we are grateful that uh, you don't shun us because we have questions. You don't shun us because we have, have doubts. Thank you, Father, that you actually, you invite us into relationship with you. You invite us to explore and discover what it means to walk uh, with you, God. So help us as we uh, leave today, as we finish this series, to go deeper in our walk with you, God. Father, thank you that, that we can actually know you. Father, I pray that if there's, if there's anything that we walk away from, from the series with, that it would be the knowledge that we can actually have a personal relationship with the creator of this universe, God. It's absolutely incredible. It's, it's life-changing in so many ways, Father. And so I pray, Father, if there's anybody here in the room uh, this morning who perhaps hasn't experienced that, maybe they're here and they know a lot about God, or maybe they're here and they know virtually nothing about you, but in either case, they've never actually met you. They've never actually begun this faith walk, this personal relationship with you. Father, I pray for that person here this morning or those people 
that if that's where they're at, Father, that they would just have the boldness to pray a prayer like this and just say, listen, God, if, if you're out there, if you exist, I wanna be open to exploring that. I wanna open myself up to discovering you and starting this personal relationship with you. And Father, I pray that as they open themselves up in their hearts and their minds and as they begin to dig into scriptures, perhaps by reading a gospel, that you would begin to reveal yourself to them in an amazing way, that you would, you would draw them, that you would woo their hearts to you in the same way that you did in my life, the same way that you've done in so many of our lives, Father. We thank you for that. We thank you that you're a good God. We pray all of these things for our good, for your glory. In the name of your son, Jesus, amen. Let's give a round of applause to these guys up here. Appreciate it. Let's stand and sing.